Hi there, I'm Jonathan Platt, and this is Direct Line, the absolute best podcast in the Baylor family. In a pivotal year of racial unrest, you might find yourself wondering what Baylor is doing to help reconcile and atone with its past. I know you love Baylor, but maybe you find yourself wondering what to think about its history on race. Do you ever feel uncomfortable discussing the topic or wondering why we need to discuss race at all? Have you ever wondered if there's even a way to resolve this tension? I I think this episode might help. In it, I discuss the university's response and current commitments to students, faculty, staff, and alumni of color so that you can be more informed and engaged in the work we must do as the Baylor family. You will also get to hear the stories of specific leaders working to make Baylor we love even better with Sophia Alejandro. Sophia is a junior from San Antonio, Texas, and an editorial intern at Baylor Line Magazine. She's majoring in journalism, public relations, and new media with two minors, one in business and one in legal reasoning analysis. Her end goal is to become a lawyer. In addition to her life as a Baylor student and a Baylor Line Foundation intern, Sophia serves as a campus tour guide to Baylor University undergraduate admissions. You could not have a better person guiding us through this conversation on race and atonement at Baylor. In this episode, you'll hear what Sophia experienced both as a researcher examining race on Baylor's campus and as a student of color, why considering Baylor's institutional structures is important when trying to understand race and campus, what the at Dear Baylor account is, and how students and alumni of color are using it to tell their stories, what Baylor President Linda Livingstone and the administration are doing to try and reconcile past mistakes and create a more inclusive future for Baylor family members of color, and how Sophia is able to channel her love for Baylor into positive solutions in change. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode, so I won't waste any more time. Here's my interview with Sophia Alejandra. My name is Sophia Alejandro. I am from San Antonio, Texas. Um, I am a current senior at Baylor University, majoring in journalism, public relations, and new media. I have two minors. One of them is in business, and the other one is in legal reasoning analysis, and I am on the pre-law track. Um, Growing up, I actually worked in my family's flower shop for a very long time. A lot of people don't know that about me. It's super random, Um, but working with people and getting in trouble and being sent to the freezer for flowers is always um, an interesting thing. So yeah, um, now that I've gotten to Baylor, I've started to figure out a little bit more about what I want and it's not the floral industry. Um, I am looking forward to graduating uncertain of where exactly this is going to go, especially with COVID happening right now. Um, but I would say my short long-term goal, I don't know if it can be both, but it is both, um, would be to become an attorney, pretty sure in social justice advocacy, um, which kind of makes sense with the subject matter of this article. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. So, and you're also an intern for the Baylor Line. Yes, I am. I have been an intern with the Baylor Line for about a year. Um, at the same time, I do work at the Baylor Visitor Center, where I uh, basically give tours to prospective families and work to help them figure out why Baylor is such a great place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, like you, like both you and I mentioned, um, you have written an article um, and you kind of uh, led into what the article is about. 
So could you just sum up really quick what your article is about, and then we can get into talking about how it was formed, what you learned in it, and what are some of the pieces that you weren't able to put into it, uh, but wish you could have if you'd had, you know, just an infinite amount of time and space? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course. So I, basically what my article is about um, is different race relations at Baylor and how we are working to improve them in general, um, especially the steps that we're taking now with our our political climate the way it is. Yeah. So, so the article's title in the magazine is When Words Become Action. The subtitle that we ran with was, While Members of the Baylor Family Look for Reconciliation and Atonement, Change Will Only Come When Words Become Action. What do those words mean to you? Yeah, so I did that. Um, I remember writing that sentence for a couple of different reasons. Um, I used the word atonement on purpose because I thought it was um, a religious word that being thrown in meant something to most of the people at Baylor, um, especially with our background. And that means a lot to me, actually, just working to atone for the wrongs that we've done um, and the different experiences that several students have had that can be seen uh, as unfair. So Um, Now we're working to better that and are actually putting together different organizational groups or commissions that are working to fix it. So to me, that's that's basically what that sentence is about, just how we can say we don't like it, but now we're actually trying to fix it. Yeah, you've you've been running with this topic for a while, haven't you? I have. I have been. Um, It took a little bit. Sure. Um, I worked for a good amount of time on this article because I wanted to make sure it came off in a positive way because it is a positive experience now that we are working to actually do something about this and um, make Baylor completely fair for all students. And I think that that's super cool and important to um, everyone. It should should be. So, Yeah. yeah, it took me a really long time to make sure everything came out the way I wanted it to come out. Yeah, just just to clarify, you mean that it's attempting to make Baylor fair for all students, not that it is making Baylor fair, right? Right. It is just the beginning steps to to that goal. (laughs) Yeah, we're not there yet. Right. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I think you uh, quote someone in the article. Uh, I'm going to blank on his name, um, but the quote goes something to the effect of, praise the Lord, we're not where we were but we still have quite a ways to go. Here it is. Uh, you were quoting. Do you remember who you were quoting? Um, I remember him because yeah, I remember Yeah, Nick Hill, director of wellness, a member of Baylor's Commissions on Historic Campus Representation. Yeah, here's the quote that I was thinking of exactly. We're not where we were, praise the Lord, but we won't be content because we lose people every year. We want to make it as friendly and welcoming as possible. Could you talk to me about talking to Dominic and what he means um, in this quote of saying, we're not where we were, we know where we're going, it's going to take some time to get there. Yeah, so um, Dominic was actually a really helpful person and resourceful person to talk to, um, not only because his credentials are awesome, but he's been here for a very long time and for a period of time worked as the only um, black man in his department. And not the only black person, but black man. And so it kind of changes things when you're the only person of that. Um, I don't know. I When you are the only person like you. So what he was talking about was 
referencing his experiences during his time as the only black man in his department and the way people would come up to him and talk to him and um, generalize or make stereotypical comments with microaggressions, things like that. Um, and so he was saying, thank God we're not where we were because now we have more people in more um, black people, more African-Americans around Baylor that are a little bit more visible. Um, so thank God we're not where we were, but we're not content yet because there's still problems. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that phrase where we were, do you want to talk a little bit about what that were means? Do you want to talk about where that were is and what that looks like? That was a really fun sentence to put together. A lot of, a lot of words bunched up. Anyways, do you want to talk about <laughs> the, the phrase where we were and what that were means? Sure. So um, where we were, I think, I think what he is saying um, is more about his personal experiences and um, the way that we lose faculty all the time. We lose faculty of color all the time. And that's actually what he is working on um, in his current degree right now, too, just looking at retention rates. So um, we're doing a little bit better about retaining our faculty, um, and we're doing a little bit better about the way we are treating people and have our cultural intelligence, and um, it's improving, but it's not where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So going even further back than Dominic, you spend quite a bit of time in the beginning of this article talking about the Baylor of the past. And since this article is about reconciliation and atonement and how Baylor is approaching those topics, um, you do spend a little bit of time talking about that uh, history of Baylor that's not exactly ancient history. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I... Sure. I I did that to paint a little bit more of a picture. Um, it's not just a snapshot of who we are today, but who we've been for the past several years, um, for the past several decades. <laughs> so this isn't something that is brand new. This isn't something that's happening because of the media today. This is yeah. something that's been going on. And even if you don't see it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. What are What are some of those places in history that you look back to and explain? Yeah, so um, I know one of the main ones that I talked about was from Professor Robert Darden and his time at Baylor, um, referencing Dr. Vivian Malone Mays as she was walking through Fountain Mall. Um, that is an important one to me. I know we have worked several times about Dr. Vivian Malone, uh, talked about it several times and worked with her um, about Dr. Vivian Malone Mays. And I think that just kind of helps to show what race relations were like even um, immediately after the civil rights movement was kind of coming to a close um, and how today, you know, there's, there's still those feelings there sometimes. Um, so yeah, I talk about that. I also talk about different statues on campus and how we only have one statue of a black person period um, to now, but um, I talked about how, for a while, it was just Robert Griffin III, and it was interesting for it to have been a um, a football player. <laughs> yeah, that that second statue was a really important one uh, for me and you. We had worked on a project for several years at that point um, around the life of Dr. Vivian Malone Mays, and to see her bust put uh, outside the mathematics department on campus, even though it's not a full statue. Uh, it still is yet another place of representation of a diverse community on a diverse campus. 
totally. I think it's super um, important work that happened, and I'm happy to have been even mildly a part of that, um, getting her bust into the mathematics department. I do think, however, that she could totally have a full statue outside of Sid Richardson, um, but that is another topic. Yeah, yeah. So, in, so speaking of statues, in your article, um, you know, are you making the argument, or is anybody making the argument that we should be taking Judge Baylor's statue down or changing the name of the university? No, I am not making that argument at all. Um, I am simply painting a picture of what is happening and telling you from my perspective too um, what I've seen and from all of these other people that I've talked to. I. I'm not saying we should change the name of the university. I'm not saying we should change the statues. I'm saying that we should do more than just talk about it. Um, maybe statues are a cool start, but that is not the true problem at hand. And I think we should actually delve a lot deeper than statues. Yeah. Your, your article works to talk about the institutional um, structures, not the physical structures on, on campus. Right. Right. So exactly. So going further into the piece, uh, you, you, you work through some of the history, you work through some of what's going on like in the administration right now, and then um, about halfway through it, you talk about this Instagram account called at Dear Baylor. Do you want to like tell me a little bit about that Instagram account and uh, get me, someone who doesn't really understand social media, caught up on what that is and what it means for this time in Baylor's history? <laughs> of course. So um, At Dear Baylor was started by Baylor students. It is completely anonymous, and um, we don't know who the leaders are. It is actually stemming from At PW, Dear PWI, which is predominantly white institutions. So this was actually started a very long time ago, and we're just kind of stemming off of it for Baylor. Um, so what At Dear Baylor does is tell the stories of different minority students and their experiences while they have been at Baylor to show this is still happening, this has been going on. Um, and you can actually go online and there's a form that you fill out to explain what is what you've experienced. Um, it is completely anonymous. At no point do they ask for your name or email or anything like that. Um, and these stories can range back from all years of alumni and um, current students right now, and they'll tell you what department it was in and just what their experience was. Um, and I think that it is working to give people a voice because we all know, we all know at the Baylor line the importance of a story. Um, so giving them their story and giving them a safe space to talk about this is really the goal. Yeah. You, in fact, you sum it up really well in your article. You say, some think this method of digital direct action is working. Minorities are being heard by Baylor faculty, staff, and administration. Students of color are being heard and promised change. What's some of that change that they're being promised, and who is doing the promising? So um, some of the change, well, we can start with the, the commission that is working with the statues, of course. That is probably the most prominent thing right now that we should um, – be getting reports on soon, actually. But yeah, that is that is probably one of the first steps that we're taking. Um, we're also initiating... And what's the commission? Could you explain it just a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't remember the name of it. The Commission of Historic um, something. <laughs> Let me look it up. Um, it is uh, the Commission on Historic Campus Representation. Okay, the Commission on Historic Campus Representation. Um, so what they are doing is basically reviewing all the different statues and building names on campus um, to see 
if they need to be changed or taken down um, as I look into the history of what exactly it means and why we named things or place statues there. <laughs> um, and I think that that's a, a nice first step. Um, but I think it's just that it's, it's a first step. Um, but we are being promised that this is going to, they're going to work on it. Um, and I know President Livingstone has been talking about some different changes that she wants to be making too, um, building up our faculty to grow with more, um, more minorities and make it look a little bit more like our student population on campus. Um, she's also talked about different ways to increase our cultural intelligence through training for all students and faculty while they are here and even trying to help with a little bit more affirmative action than what's actually been going on at Baylor too to make sure we can get some people into these doors and um, make our campus a little bit more diverse. So I think those are a few of the different changes that have been going on. Our administration has been working really hard to make those promises and um, President Livingstone has been doing, in my opinion, a great job with yeah, the, with to, to kind of read from one of the statements that she released early on in um, this time period and this topic was, uh, we acknowledge some early Baptist leaders owned enslaved persons, held racial views common in that era, supported Confederate causes, and engaged in the fight to preserve slavery, including Baylor's three founders, most of the university's initial trustees, and other early Baylor leaders. We denounce racism in all forms, I'm reading from her statement, as being inconsistent with Baylor's Christian mission and the teachings of Jesus Christ and remain committed to instituting tangible and systemic changes to ensure fair and equitable policies and practices. As a student of color, as a woman of color, what did that statement mean for you to see that, to see in writing the president of the university and the administration of the university acknowledged that some early Baptist leaders owned enslaved persons and that founders of the universities, um, that founders of the universities and most of the university's initial trustees worked for Confederate causes to preserve slavery. What did that mean for you? Well, um, for me personally, it, it's no secret. I know that Judge Baylor, Reverend Tryon and Reverend Hudkins all worked with slaves or worked with owned is the correct word um that they owned slaves and that is something that makes me sad um but i do know it was part of what was going on at that time of course that doesn't excuse anything at all um but i understand what she's saying and i am happy to hear an acknowledgement and some atonement for it through her um actually acknowledging it so being able to say we do not support this in this time at Baylor um, makes me feel a lot better walking around campus yeah you you begin this story with something that easily could have appeared on at dear Baylor an anonymous Instagram account but instead this experience that you had you decided to put your name on it and talk about it and publish it what did that mean for you in making that decision? And how did you get to that decision to uh, not only put that, but put your name on it in a very public manner? Um, so the reason that I, I decided to write that into the story was because um, it kind of sets the tone for what exactly I'm gonna be talking about. It tells you exactly what I'm gonna say without me having to say it yet. Um, 
And I think it also makes me more of a person than if I had just talked about race relations at Baylor. It's like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. Um, but instead, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I've experienced. That is just, that's one experience. And a lot of people um, tend to say like, oh, it's just a snapshot from one person of what's going on. But um, I didn't want to make it anonymous because I, I want you to be able to say, oh yeah, this is this is one person. And if you have a question for me, ask me. That's totally fine. I will tell you with 100% honesty um, what my different experiences at Baylor have been. That is probably the worst one, one of the worst ones um, that has happened. And I also want to throw out there, too, I have never really had a problem with any other student. Um, it's always been faculty, interestingly enough. The only things that come from students are like, hey, say something in Spanish. And I'm like, mm, say something in Italian. Um, and so... <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I decided to do that because I wanted to be more of a person in this article, um, because I genuinely care about what I was saying and I wanted people to see that from me. Um, and so I was happy to put my name on it. It is, it is very evident that you care about this, this topic. So we started out back in this summer talking about this article, um, because of the Dear Baylor account, um, we worked through um, figuring out what this was going to look like. When you started writing this article, and, or I guess even before that, when you started researching this article, when you started thinking about this article, did you, did you have this in mind of what it would come to? Like what, or not what it would come to, what it would be published like, what it would look like when it was published? <laughs> um, I had an idea, but it definitely wasn't this. Um, I struggled a lot with trying to figure out how to write this in a, a proper and elegant tone um, that was less whiny or less complainy. And so I went through several drafts um, with the very first one just being exactly what I thought. Um, and then putting it in a completely truthful um, and positive light because it's true. It is positive. Everything that's going on is positive. But um, I, I did not know that this is what it was going to land on. And um, I'm happy it did, though. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk through what that experience was like? Um, some of the people that you interviewed, we talked about Dominic Hill and, and Robert Darden. Um, could you talk about what it was like to collect their interviews and collect their stories? Um, and were there any pieces in those conversations that you wish had been able to make it into the article, but they just didn't fit. I always hate that. I always, you know, <laughs> you spend an hour with someone and you get to use, you know, about four minutes of the total thing. Are there any of those other minutes left over from the interviews that, man, I just really wish I could have used it in this article or somewhere else. There were so many interesting things said by every single one of them. Um, and if I could have, I, I probably would have put majority of the transcripts from, almost all of their interviews. Um, <laughs> but it'd be the whole all, magazine. <laughs> exactly. It would be the whole magazine. It'd be a novel. Um, yeah. But it was really good. I, I went through this process, um, first picking people based off their different credentials and trying to get a different variety of people. So um, some people from the commission, some that were students, one student that is in the commission and a student, um, someone that works in new student programs and faculty at Baylor. So getting these variety of sources, also men, women, black, white, um, all kinds of different backgrounds were important to me too. 
one of the people that I talked to was Whitney Jones, who works with the New Student Programs, and she was completely honest about her experiences and um, the different things that she's heard from her fellow faculty of color at Baylor. Um, and I wish some of those things could have been put in the article, but it didn't necessarily align with um, the message I was going for. But it was all incredibly insightful. Um, there's another, I talked to several different students and I didn't include all of them. Um, and I wish I had. I talked to some people who were from um, the Hispanic Association, the Baylor Hispanic Association. I talked to someone from the, the Asian Coalition. Um, and I wish I had been able to make room for them too, just to get more colors, honestly, to get more colors involved in the story than just black and white, because it's not. Um, but I, I went based off of the quotes that I thought were the most effective and um, that's what I ended up with. Yeah, my, uh, one of my favorite quotes is actually how you sum up the article. And it's from Maya Ellington Williams, a Little Rock, Arkansas senior, and one of the students on um, the Commission on Historic Campus Representation. And she says, we find pride in our Baylor experiences and traditions, but we have to recognize and realize that even though it should be the same for all students, it isn't. That is what we are fighting for and working on making sure that when people are excited to come to Baylor, whether they are black, white, Hispanic, Asian, they have access to this Baylor experience. You're in your senior year. You're a woman of color. You have written an article about the experience of people of color on campus throughout history and into the future. You, you, you've, I mean, you've told me, I mean, explicitly and throughout your entire career at Baylor, uh, I mean, you work at the Visitor Center and the <laughs> Alumni Magazine. It, it seems to me like you love Baylor and you love it despite its flaws. Its flaws make it what it is. And that hurts, but it's also the Baylor that you're experiencing and the Baylor experience you've had. What's it like? It's something I can never come close to imagining. What's it like to have the Baylor experience as a person of color and in your senior year still say, I love this institution? Um, of course, there's, there's problems. Um, I have encountered microaggressions and general forward aggressions. Um, stories like the one that I wrote at the beginning of my article, um, I have encountered a lot of different things on Baylor's campus, more so than in Waco in general. Um, but of course, I, I love this university. Baylor has done so much for me, um, has become so much a part of me and changed me into a lot of who I am today. Um, and just because I think that we need change doesn't mean I don't love it. I love it and want change because I love it. Um, I think that it should be better than we, than we are, and we should always try to do better for the next crop of students that are coming in. <laughs> um, but I think that that's probably the most important part. I, because I love it, I want change. Um, but it's been so good, every single part of this. I love my department. I love the professors that I've had, um, the classes that I've taken who have those who, you know, those who have worked with me like you and um, the different mentors that I've had during my time here, all of the opportunities that have been available to me just because I'm here and I, I know that I'm 
you know, I, I know that I'm valued here. Um, so being a student of color anywhere is going to have its problems. It's not just at Baylor. Um, so of course, I'm, I love Baylor. I, I wouldn't change a thing about my experience here, even, even the negative parts of it. Yeah. If you could change one thing, not about your experience, but your, your article is about the actions coming out of the words. If there is one change that you could make, kind of being one of the experts on this topic now. I mean, you, I mean, I know you spent three months on this. I know you spent near daily exhaustion in exploring this topic. You've collected all the research. You've done the reporting. What's that one recommendation you would tell Dr. Livingstone to fix, add, take away by year's end? For me personally, what, what I think um, is working on that faculty ratio, that minority faculty ratio, because I am a senior at Baylor and I have never had a professor that looks like me. So there was one professor who looked like me in my department and she's gone now. Um, so now my department is void of um, Hispanic, Latino, Spanish. Um, and I love my department and I have nothing against them. Um, but even in any other department with my majors, with my minors, with anything, I have never had someone look like me, not even a male that is <laughs> um, the same ethnicity as me. So I think that that's where I would start because there's a gigantic need for me to be able to walk up to someone and say, hey, I just encountered this in a professor and he just said this to me, what do I do? And instead of being like, oh, that's, I don't, interesting, do you want to report it to Title IX? I kind of would like for someone to say, you know, that happens and that sucks. Um, and I'm here for you because I get it. So I think that that's the one major first step I would take. I so agree with you. So agree with you. Sophia, your work is so important. And what you produce and what you bring about along the way is just so, so incredibly well done. I am so proud of this article and so proud of you for being the person who wrote it. I don't know maybe three other people in my entire network that could have written this. You're one of those very few people. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. So that's my interview with Sophia. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you're interested in the resources or people we mentioned, you can find lots of links in the show notes. Join me next time for a conversation with Ray Jefferson, who contributed the opening essay to the 2020 Fall Baylor Line magazine. Click the follow button to make sure you get each episode in your feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you haven't reviewed our episodes yet, would you do that right now? You're our very best source for new listeners, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can post your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We're eager to hear from you, and we do read every single one. Good, bad, or indifferent, your review helps us make this podcast better and remain your voice in the Baylor family.
Our show is produced by the Baylor Line Foundation with audio production by Michael Echterling. Research is by Rachel Cooper. Our director of marketing is Kaylee Davis with additional support from the absolutely fabulous Sophia Alejandro. A special thanks to Tony Peterson, Bob Darden, and Alan Holt. I'm Jonathan Platt. <laughs>